Office Reviews podcast. I'm Daniel, and I'm here with Billy. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Billy. And today we're tackling Elvis Country. Now, this was this was right. actually a request. We got an email from a listener. So exciting. Yeah, that was exciting. And he said um, he really likes the show. I hope you're going to talk about Elvis Country soon. So by the time this show comes out, that would have happened some time ago. But right. it's happened. <laughs> so here it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this came out in January of 1971, recorded in June of 1970, uh, except two songs, which were in September of 1970. Uh, yes. Went to number 12 in the U.S. and number six in the U.K. Which is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's top 20, top 10 in the U.K. Once again, the album cover illustrating the fact that Elvis was just done taking publicity photos. I'm not 70s. doing photo shoots <laughs> anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Come to yeah. the concert and take some pictures and that's all you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. This also is the album where in between recording it and releasing it is when Elvis went to Washington and met Nixon and all those famous pictures were taken. Ah, uh, yeah. He went where he got his, is that where he got his badge? His what is it like the something about drug enforcement yeah. agency, is that it? <laughs> I, I think that was it. He just got on this kick where he was just collecting badges, which is <laughs> weird. But I mean, if you're Elvis, I don't know. I guess it's something to do. He's, I mean, he's <laughs> done everything else. So I'm uh, just going to collect badges. So yeah, he decided he needed to get this badge. And so he just went right to Nixon, uh, went to the top and got what he wanted. So I do kind of wish that there's a picture of Elvis with Jimmy Carter as well, which I kind of wish was more famous because I prefer mm. that association. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Oh, that, that's that it. You, you just on. offended half the listeners right there. I, what have you done? I, what have you done? <laughs> offended all the Nixon fans out there. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It was, I don't know if irony is the right word, but the fact he really wanted this um, badge for the, was it the DEA? Am I right there? Yes, that sounds I'm right. Just, I was just, I was just guessing from memory. So that I got it right. I think but, you right, know. Yeah. The fact that he really wanted that badge, which I'm guessing the agency was out to stop people taking drugs. And <laughs> right. then, you know, we know how things ended up. So Well, we do, but it, but it's kind of like Prince. I mean, they were prescription drugs. I think Elvis rationalized it to himself. Yeah. The crazy thing is some prescription drugs are way worse than anything you're going to get out in the street. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but let's not start the show on this downer. <laughs> Well, yeah, why did no. I go? Why did I go there? Uh, <laughs> well, I, Elvis country. <laughs> yeah. Now I've got this weird Prince thing that maybe doesn't even belong on the show. But I was just going to mention that Elvis, his second tour ever was 1971. He opened that tour in Minneapolis. Oh, OK. It was the very first tour he opened with 2001 as the big opening theme. A lot of these songs were actually recorded on Prince's 12th birthday, June 7th. But I'm just curious, you know, in November of 1982, Prince did an interview with the L.A. Times where he said, the most important thing is to be true to yourself, but I also like danger. That's what's missing from pop music today. There's no excitement and mystery. People sneaking out and going to see these forbidden concerts by Elvis Presley or Jimi Hendrix. Ah, uh, so you think he might have gone to see it? I really do. I really honestly do. See, th this is something we'll probably never know for sure unless somebody actually comes out and confirms it, yeah. who he told. But it is amazing to think, yeah, when he was that young, he went, like we know he went and saw James Brown with his right, dad right. and that blew him away right if you saw elvis as well wow yeah what, a, what an introduction to you know the, the music world seeing those two at least yeah well this, the same year uh sly and the family stone and grand funk railroad played minneapolis prince claims to have put his first band together when he was 12 so that's that same year 1971 so anyway yeah i just wow. it's it's just fascinating for me to think of 
because this would have been Elvis at peak level. I mean, he's got the yeah. jumpsuit, he's thin, he's got a cape. They opened with 2001. This would make a serious impression on anybody who is la later to be on stage, you know? Mm. That would not surprise me because we've talked about before how Prince knew from very early on how important the very start of a show was. Mm -hmm. And if he'd gone and seen Elvis, you know, with 2001 as the intro. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, what an impression that would yeah. have made. Especially at 12. Yeah. When I was 12. Oh, yeah. I, You'd never forget that. No, I discovered Elvis when I was 12. So that's how big, an, that's how impressionable I was at 12. Yeah, uh -huh. it's it's interesting to think about. I don't know if anybody else will find it interesting, but, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> well, it's our podcast. We'll talk yeah. about whatever we want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Elvis Country was his 13th studio album, if the internet's correct. And it's compared to the later albums that we've talked about, this is a decent length. It's almost 40 minutes. Yeah. It's not 35 or 30 or 28 as we've done before. Yeah. So yeah, almost 40 minutes. It's a, it's a good length. Yeah, especially after what Raised on Rock was, what, 28 minutes or something? Yeah, well, I remember one was 28, yeah. Yeah. Now, lots of reviews, and I think we talked about this in another show, is the word countrypolitan. Yeah. And I saw it a lot in reviews of this album, even though this album has many different types of, mm -hmm. I guess, sub-genres of country music in a country album. Mm -hmm. This countrypolitan word, I just never heard it before, before I started looking into all these reviews and like stuff like that. Same here. I guess at the time it was a popular, you know, that was the word that people used. And now people just say country. It's just country. Yeah. Or as a lot of this album is more like adult contemporary, I would call a good half of this album. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that took over for whatever country politan was because yeah, I have never run across that word until looking into all this either. It's basically, it's just people, they've got to put a label on it. They've got to right. name it something. Right. You know, it can't just be music. It can't just be Elvis. <laughs> it's, they've got to slap a label on it and so we can put it in this section in the record store. Yeah. Otherwise, people will be confused. It's like, it's Elvis. I'm pretty sure they'll figure it out. Yeah. I was surprised on this album, again, after having just done Raised on Rock, how similar the song selection is. You know what I mean? Like, there's a here's a country song. Mm -hmm. Here's a, there's no, there's no religious song on this album. Album. But the approach is sort of ah. the same. Oh, here's some stuff from the 50s that I used to love and saying, uh, here's a couple of new things. It's a far superior album. I mean, head and shoulders above Raised on Rock. But it's not a different approach, really, as far as, you know, track list Was goes. this one another Felton Jarvis production or was he not there that early? Oh, no, this is Felton Jarvis for sure. Oh, okay. So, yeah, he's still putting his hands all over everything. and Yeah. But the weird thing I noticed with this album was the band. Mm -hmm. It is not Elvis's, the usual live band that we all know. I think except for James Burton, everyone else is like these Nashville guys where he recorded it, like studio yeah, I, session people. I didn't. Which, um... I didn't notice either, but then I was I was looking up stuff about the album, and that's like this person played drums and this person played bass, and I'm like I don't know any of these names, <laughs> but like there was Jerry Carrigan, Buddy Harmon, Norbert Putman. Well, Norbert was a you know? bass player, and he definitely. Well, I see James Burton is there, so that's good. Yeah, I think he's one of the only ones that we know. Yeah, well, oh, you got David Briggs right. on piano, which is a semi. Yeah, he's a uh, recognizable name. Yeah, you're right. I don't. Charlie McCoy on organ and harmonica. Yeah. Char oh, Charlie Hodge on guitar. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's Jordan Ayers are doing vocals. That's weird. Imperial. Yeah, it's the, the famous Nashville sound pioneered at RCA. Yeah. So yeah, he just it seemed he just turned up at Nashville. He took James and a couple of guys with him and just used the Nashville guys to basically do the rest. Whatever it is, it worked. <laughs> oh yeah. 
And from what I was reading online, like, that's everything, many people saying it's probably the last great album as far as studio releases go and as pretty much as close to a concept album as he ever did. That's right. With the snippets of that 10,000 years yeah, old I was born. at the end of every single song. <laughs> it gets a bit much. I, w- I can see what they were doing and, you know, probably at the time it was like, oh, this is interesting. But yeah, now it's just, I listen to it and I'm like, yeah, I could do without it that. Started, it started to grow on me. Yeah, it is definitely his only real concept album. Although I, you could make a weird argument for some of the soundtracks in the 60s. Like if you just divorce them from the movie, oh, yeah. you'd be like, well, Fun in Acapulco is a concept album <laughs> with Latin music. And, you know, Harem mm. Scarum is this Middle Eastern influenced album. But yeah, those aren't really concept albums the way this one is. Well, you could even argue this is not really a country album. I mean, there's country songs on there, but there's it depends how rigid you want to be with your descriptions of genres of music i mean right. a whole lot of shaking going on that's not a country no song. i don't consider half this album to be country i really don't just because it's on an album that's called country right. people just go oh it's a country album but when you really think about it it's like well that song's not really country oh okay it's got a banjo okay maybe <laughs> <Right. laughs> anyway if you haven't got any more let's go okay track one so we're gonna go into track one well, side a it is snowbird Now, before I get into this song itself, Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. In America and Canada, I guess, a snowbird is one of these, you know, old retired people who generally live in the north and they go down to the south to escape cold winter. Is this right? I've never heard that before in my life, actually. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It might still be right, but no, I've never heard I've never heard that. Really? Yeah. I thought that was a very common American well-known thing. No, I mean, it I could know. be, but no, I've Maybe definitely not. never heard that. I mean, I've heard of a, a snow bunny. But have you heard of these retired people who live in the north and then they come south because they don't want to have a freezing winter up north? I mean, it makes... And they like they go to Florida yeah, or something. Yeah, I mean, it, for the, it yeah. makes sense and the phenomenon happens, but I've just never heard the term snowbird applied to it. Snowbird? Yeah, oh, never okay. have. Because that's not a very well-known concept to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sort of does happen here. But, we, you know, we only have snow in literally one part of the country. So it's not a big thing. Right. And obviously, it's it's also the opposite here. We're in the Southern Hemisphere. Right. If you're in the South, it's cold. If it's going to be a cold winter, you're going to go North. Total opposite to what you're going to do in America. Right. But, yeah, I didn't get any sort of relation between the meaning of that word and what this song is about. There's probably There's probably none. But I just, I'm like, well, that's what I think that that word oh, means. Okay. But how does that relate to this song? I don't know. <laughs> I would say not at all. I need, I'd have to have a closer look at the lyrics. But yeah, I didn't see any mm-hmm. connection except for the name. Right. Anyway, <laughs> that's just nothing. Written by Jean McClellan. And I think Anne Murray was the first one to put this out. Yes. Is that right? Yes, she was. I have to admit, for this album, I've been so busy, I just didn't have time to go back and listen to the original version, so I'm leaving that to you. I <laughs> Hopefully you did. I did not on this. I do usually, okay. but this album was so good and every version, I, I just didn't care. You didn't even need to go and listen to <laughs> yeah, any others. Yeah, I generally this is just enough. didn't care to hear the original. But I, I did go back and listen to Anne Murray's I Like Elvis's Better. Well, all, I, all I'll say is it's very short for a start. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little track. It's just, you know, it's just over two minutes. It's this little feel-good sort of track. It's light and breezy, but it just, it passes by so quickly. And what else can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And also at the end, you get the first snippet of of this um, 
the 10,000 years old, which I think we could just mention now and just not, we don't need to talk about it for the rest of the right. album. I, I did listen to it's It's there. It's, it's at the end of every track. That's all you need right. to know. If you've heard this album, you know how it goes. If you've heard the new remastered version, I think that doesn't have that right. on it. And you actually get just the full version of the song. So that's probably much better. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all I got to say. Okay. Snowbird. Uh, this is probably my favorite song on the album, believe it or not. Oh, really? Um, wow. It's definitely the song I've gone back to and listened to more than anything else on the record. And it's probably because I had it. Be- I had the song Snowbird before I had the Elvis Country album. It was on a comp. It was uh, yeah. Okay. It was on this compilation album of. It was called Elvis: A Canadian Tribute, and it was Elvis. Any songs that had any connection to Canada were on this album. So Snowbird was on there, except. They faded it out way before you because they didn't want to have that. I was born 10,000 years ago, bleeding into it. Oh, uh, okay. So you missed yeah, the so end. Yeah, so it fades it. out before Elvis even finishes the song. So when I got this, I was excited to hear the whole song. You heard the extra three seconds at the end. You need them. <laughs> to me, I thought this should have been a single, but it turns out it was released in 1970. And the year it came out, there were already 12 cover versions. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So after Anne Murray, also Loretta Lynn, Perry Como, Slim Whitman, Andy Williams, Al Martino. And then after Elvis, you get Burl Ives, Bing Crosby with the Count Basie oh, wow. Orchestra. Burl Ives. I haven't heard that name for a while. <laughs> yeah. The Bing Crosby one is pretty good. It's him and the Count Basie Orchestra, and it, it like really kind of swings. Yeah, this does sound like a Bing I, I always remember that video of Bing Crosby and David Bowie, Bowie like right. doing a Christmas song at the fireplace. I can just imagine them doing this one as well. It would fit perfectly. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I like about the song is it is – like this is a song I usually listen to around this time of year when I'm not ready for Christmas music, but – you know, this, it's, this it's, is like it's a, on the way to it. Yeah, exactly. I hate to make another very quick Prince reference, but in some ways, this sort of feels like it occupies the same place that Take Me With You does in that. It's, oh, wow. It's like a perfect, okay. perfect little gem of a song, but it's immediately overshadowed by everything around it. But on its own, I just it's just perfect to me. But it, it also does have a similar sound in a way. And it is a short track as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's. I'm, but, I just imagine all the people listening, they're like, why are these guys always talking about Prince? This is the Elvis podcast. Yeah, I know. It's got to it's gotta annoy some people. But let's just say there are, as much as we're into Elvis, well, I'm way, I was way more into Prince, so I know a lot of stuff. And there are just so many things that they have in common, which most Elvis fans probably wouldn't know about Prince and most Prince fans wouldn't know about Elvis because right. there's probably a very small number who are into both as much as we are. Yeah, I agree. But knowing all you know, both sides, we can see, well, he did this and he also did this. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're in a, probably in a very small minority who are seeing the comparisons that, you know, they've both done this or they've both said this or that. Right. It's interesting. Or both dressed a certain way. Yeah. Mm. I think only other, oh, I was going to say, so this is, you mentioned it was like a happy little breezy song, which it, it is, unless you really listen to the lyrics. Because it's actually uh, got, well, yeah, that, that's my that's my usual downfall, right? <laughs> well, I've got a bunch of lyric things to talk about when we do this album or as we get into it. But I was just going to mention one or two of my favorite lines. When I was young, my heart was young then too. Anything that it would tell me is the thing that I would do. Now I feel such emptiness within for the thing that I want most in life's the thing that I can't win. Ah, great lyrics, and it's not exactly his typical like sad regret song. This is one where mm. the, the person has done him wrong, and the singer or the songwriter is contemplating because she'll only break my heart again should I decide to stay. So I just, yeah, I love the song. And it's, like I said, it's a little different. There's a lot of songs in this album that are very different lyrically than anything else Elvis ever did. And this one is a slightly different emotion than, than just the usual, 
I'm sad yeah. and regret everything. So. But even even so, those lyrics that you just said, mm-hmm. I can instantly see Elvis would like those lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it might not be that similar to other stuff he's done, just the the lyricism, uh-huh. the Don't. that sort of style. As soon as you said it, when yeah. he was singing it, I didn't like. I listened to his voice, but yeah, I don't focus on the the words and what they were saying that much. Right. But when you just said those lyrics, I'm like, yeah, I can see why Elvis would like that. Yeah. I didn't um, notice it when he was actually singing it, but when you said it, I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite songs. It's just yeah, to me, it's just about perfect. There's just nothing wrong with this song. It's perfection. A lot of times when I've listened to this album, I have a hard time not just hitting repeat on track one. Oh yeah. There's, there's a few on this album, which, yeah, we'll get to. Yeah. And they're very short, and you can easily just put them twice mm-hmm. on the playlist because once is not enough. Yeah. Well, this one I've ended up putting on so many compilations because I would do these weird compilations that had to do with, like, the time of the year and stuff. So this would always go on my fall uh, going into winter yeah. stuff. But, yeah, I don't. I guess I don't really have much else to say about it. It's just, you know, perfection as far as I'm concerned. It's It's two and a half minutes of just perfect vocal, perfect music. So, uh, huh? yeah, that's all I've got. That's all we need. Yeah. Now, then it's track two. It's Tomorrow Never Comes. Now, this is an old Ernest Tubb classic, who I've never heard that name before. Mm-hmm. And it became a hit for B.J. Thomas in 1966. Mm-hmm. And so then this album came out, what, four years later? Yeah. No, five. Um, five years, yeah. Five, yeah. So straight away, the length of this track, double that of the first song. This is, you know, over four minutes. Well, including the snippet, forget that. But I like this one. It's it's not the same, but it's got a real reminiscence of American Trilogy. Yeah, I have that too. I think it's just that sort of like marching drum mm-hmm. thing that's in the background. It's just like a similar vibe about it. And it's got that sort of epic sound about it. Not on the same level as Trilogy, but it's... um. And you got Elvis's voice, gets some good parts, gets up to some great notes near the end of the track. And we've got, I think, three, maybe four key changes, which just keep it moving forward. Simple musical trick, but never fails. Mm-hmm. H- how do you not mention the last the last few notes of this? Elvis's voice. Yeah. Holy moly. You've got to love that. That's what we're here for. But yeah, I like this song. I don't love it. It's, uh, it's okay. I'd say it's good. Oh. I wouldn't say it's great, but it's good. I would say it's... What about you? you, you, you you'll say it's great. <laughs> I, will, I will say it's great. <laughs> it's my second favorite on the album. <laughs> um, no, it's it's not. I have, a, I have a feeling my second favorite might be the one that's your favorite, but we'll find out. Um, I have, yeah, one of my notes is this is American Trilogy level powerful. If this album consisted of only the first and second track, it would still be a masterpiece in my in my mind. This one reminds me a little bit of What Now My Love. It's got that same... Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I can hear that. And both of them kind of yeah. kind of remind me of the classical piece Bolero, Ravel's Bolero, and the, the way it builds. Ah. Not the Bolero has a different melody, but the drumming and stuff, the way it builds. Yeah, I've got notes like this one starts like one small marching band at the start, but by the end it's a full parade with elephants and floats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, the other thing I love about this one is okay, it's it's a really clever song lyrically because it starts out where he's you tell me that you love me and that we can get married, but tomorrow never comes. So it starts out where it sounds like this woman is kind of stringing him along, and he's like, and so he's singing tomorrow never comes in this, it's a sad, sort of mournful way. But by the time he gets to the very last verse, the whole, and this is about the songwriting, not really about Elvis, but by the time they get to the last verse, he switches it, says tomorrow I'll be leaving, and tomorrow you'll be crying, and then he goes back to but tomorrow never comes. So the final couple of verses, 
it's the same chorus, but now it's triumphant instead of like mournful. Mm. And it's just, oh, it's so good. Yeah, to flip it that way. Yeah. Well, I realized that this is one of the earliest albums that I ever had. I didn't realize that, but I think it was maybe the second Christmas after I'd just gotten into Elvis. And so a lot of the, just the writing on here was kind of a revelation to me as a kid, because I just had never heard songs this literate before. Because really, I mean, that's a really neat trick to take these two choruses that are sad and then turn it, sing the same chorus, but now it's happy. Yeah, I'm, I really love this song. I can't compare it to the one before it that I said was my favorite, but it really is up there. Uh, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my notes are all just silly. Like, sounds like Elvis on a horse that keeps galloping faster and faster towards a, towards <laughs> a cliff, but instead of going off the cliff, the horse uh, flies at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah it, turns, it turns into a, a flying <laughs> unicorn at the end. Yeah, my reaction to most of this album is more like emotional than, than critical. So yeah, to me, I, you mentioned American Trilogy. I definitely think it's on that same level. Uh, I think the only reason he didn't do it live is because, um, because of American Trilogy and What Now My Love are both very similar in the way they build and stuff. Mm. I wish he'd have done it live. I'm happy with this. This is that would have been good to me. This is like an unbelievable first two tracks. Of Definitely that. a good start. Yeah. And so then there's track three, "Little Cabin on the Hill." You go first. This to me is the first country song on the album, or I guess it's more bluegrass mm. or something. Uh, Elvis first was recorded singing this with Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, and Johnny Cash in 1957 at the million dollar, the famous million dollar quartet. Quartet. Yeah. Uh, although I don't think Johnny Cash was really there after the pictures were taken. Um, <laughs> it's it's a short one. It's really, really fun. I like the opening that makes it seem like it's a spontaneous, just loose thing that they just dive into. Mm. Again, it's barely two minutes long. I had a note that says I really like the violin, but I think you have to call it a fiddle when it's in this kind of a song. A, yeah. I don't know the difference other than if it's country, it's a fiddle, and if it's something else, it's a violin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure someone will let us know why we're so stupid and don't know, but yeah. yeah. Sounds the same as a violin yeah. to me. Well, when I was really little, I couldn't tell the difference between an upright bass and a cello, but I, I guess those are different too. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm, I have a little note that says I'm starting to like the uh, 10,000 years ago segues between songs. That's about it. Oh, Man, wow. I, I never got to that point. <laughs> I wish I had more. I mean, I had over a week to come up with notes, but I don't have much else. I just, you know, I love this, it. This song is so short. I mean, if you take the snippet out, it's what? It's about a minute 40, probably. Yeah. It's very short. So Yeah, it works. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot. I mean, all I have is it's written by Bill Munro mm. and Lester Flatt. Mm. Very short track. Yeah, like you said, this is the first country song. To me, this is the sort of classic American yeah. sound country music from the olden days. It's got the banjos, it's got the fiddle, and, it, you know, that's how I expect an old American country song to sound yeah, like. Even though I know there's all different types, but this is like the, the cliche stereotype. Mm -hmm. this, is an, this is a country song. I really like that backing vocal as well, which sings the harmony. That's nice. But, yeah, before you know it, it's all over. It's way too short. Like I said before, this is one you can put in the playlist, put it in there twice, right. and you still barely get to three minutes. So it's easy yeah. to do. And yeah, I like this one. I don't like it as much as the first two, but yeah, yeah it's I nice. would absolutely agree with that. Yeah, it's not quite up to the level of, especially the one right before it, but it, it feels like a little breather. You know what I mean? It sounds like him and the band in the studio just kind of taking a break and screwing around in Let's a good way. Let's throw another Prince reference in for all the mm. Prince lovers. <laughs> he always used to do this, whether it was live or not always, but fairly regularly, mm -hmm. either in a live concert or in a studio album. He'd have two big songs at the start, third track, usually maybe some sort of ballad or a slower song so everyone can have a rest including right. him 
And yeah, similar yeah, thing here. It's not a ballad, but yeah, it feels like a let's take a let's loosen up let's a little. Ju- let's just calm down, have exactly. a rest for a minute. We'll get back to the the other stuff in a minute. <laughs> just sit down, have a break. Yeah. <laughs> I had a note saying that this is a textbook little ditty. It's what what I would think of this song. Oh as. yeah, yeah. It's the exactly. right length. It's yeah. It's just a little ditty, as they say. So. So then we've got track number four. If you haven't heard this song, I don't know where you've <laughs> been. It's called "Whole Lot of Shaking Going On," which is by Jerry Lee Lewis, the Piano Man. If I remember correctly, this was like one take live in the studio. Yeah, was that right? That is right. And they edited it. Which is great. They edited it on the album. So, yeah, I think it went on for like eight minutes. It's it's on YouTube. I was listening to it right before we started. I I didn't even get to the end of it. But, yeah, it goes on. I've got to listen to that. That'll be good. But, yeah, this is, again, not a country song. No, not at all. By any any means, (laughs) really. This song, there's a guitar that comes in at about 150. Just the sound of Mm -hmm. that guitar. It's not even what is being played, just the sound of it. It's just like, oh, it just sounds so good. That's how it should sound. Uh, Elvis, we get some great high notes, and he, he like slides up on a few of these notes near the end of this, and it's just, wow, it's great. But yeah, not, not really a country song, but it fits. But it's not that much of a departure. It still fits nicely mm-hmm. on this album, just to give you a, a bit more of the, the, the rocky side. And it also is fairly different from, I mean, obviously very different from a yeah. piano, solely piano-based version, and this is a lot more guitars and stuff. But, yeah, I like it. It's good. It's always mm-hmm. been a good song. And then to hear Elvis sing it, of course it's going to be good. Um, That's all I got. Yeah, I also have a note that it was really smart not to emphasize the piano, but to do, like, this bass guitar and drums uh, focus. Yeah, I mean, how, yeah. how could you... How could you even try to compete? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have, yeah, everything after the two-minute mark is amazing. That's right around when you mentioned the guitar coming in. You said 150. Yeah. I've got, yeah. reminds me a little of Polk Salad Annie, a little bit of that energy anyway. I definitely was into that eight-minute version because one of my notes says right at the end, he says, take it out, Jerry, and you're expecting this great guitar solo, and it just sort of fades. Yeah. There's a version that has horns overdubbed on it, I don't know why they didn't make the album, but they sound pretty good. Gosh, I have much less to say about this one than any of the others. Uh, It is one take. It rocks as hard as anything, really. Definitely not not country. But it's, you know, a local Tennessee guy, so maybe it kind of fits in that way. And like I said, the track before, Mm. the last time he recorded it, Jerry Lee Lewis was on the piano as Elvis was singing Little Cabin on the Hill. So it's kind of an interesting song to follow it with a, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis song. Yeah. Yeah. That big vocal slide he does, it's 233 if you want to listen to it. And he goes almost as high (laughs) as he can. And his voice just cracks just when he gets to where he's got to be. It's it's great. But yeah, I'm going to have to check out that long version. Yeah, it really is good. Like I hadn't even reached the end of it. Yeah, I hadn't even done Because he did do this live yes. occasionally, like with what Flip Flop and Fly and a there's, couple of other there's ones. There's another one that's on YouTube right now. He does it the first time I've ever heard it. He starts off with uh, Blue Suede Shoes and goes right into this song. And it's really cool. It's much better than that the medley you're thinking of that we covered on the Memphis concert. Where he just does a snippet. That's uh, the one, yeah. No, there's a version. It's I don't even know what year it was, but it's it's on YouTube, but it's Blue Suede Shoes, and he goes directly into this, and it's really good. Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot to say beyond it's awesome. <laughs> In that eight-minute version, he does that thing that we always talk about where he mimics the sound of drums and guitars and whatever whatever music is oh, in his yeah. head. There's a Good lot job, of that job, job. eight-minute version. There is a, a little bit mm-hmm. of it on the album, but it's like literally right. tiny. So, yeah, no surprise it came out in the later parts yeah. of it. Yeah, I think my first note for this song just says, damn, this is a fun album. 
<laughs> I mean, this yeah. is yeah, one tracks one through four, just nothing but a good time. So, so then we go to track number five. It's funny how time slips away. Now, you obviously will know this, but I didn't know this was a Willie Nelson track. I think we must have mentioned it on the Madison Square Garden review, maybe. On one of them, Possibly. we talked about it. I mean, we've Willie Nelson's name yeah. keeps coming <laughs> up every time we do a review. There's always something about Willie yeah. Nelson. like. But yeah, it came up written and there's a, what? We might have mentioned it mm-hmm. before, but I'd just forgotten because we keep talking about Willie yeah. Nelson. But yeah, but because I'm a much bigger fan of Elvis live stuff and don't know the studio material that well. For me, this is the most well-known song on this right. album because I've just heard it played at so many live shows over the years. It is the only song on this album that stayed in his live repertoire okay. pretty much throughout the entire 70s. Because yeah, as soon as I saw this was on there, I'm like, oh, this is this album with the big the big hit song. Yeah. Even though it might have been a big hit, it's just that I've heard it at so many live shows, I just assumed right. this must have been a pretty big song. No, not even a single. But it wasn't even a single. Nope. Crazy. <laughs> Did you happen to notice what year Willie Nelson's was? Let me look at right know. now. Yeah, it may have been too close together and it would just be, you know, weird to put out a single that was just a hit for somebody else. That's why I think, because to me, Snowbird is an obvious single, but too many other people did it. Nelson. Oh, 1961. Oh, okay. Well, it wasn't So 10 though. years. Yeah. Well, you could have put it out as a single, I guess. Okay. Written by Willie Nelson in June first released by first recorded by country singer Billy Walker and that was put out as a single Columbia Records June 1961 got to number 23 on the hot country and western sides chart so yeah that was a good what nine ten years before Elvis's version came out right yeah he's still his sessions are definitely like he's picking songs that he knew from you know 10 years ago it seems like but he's doing something totally different with them um so what do you got for this one i have again i think it's i could see this being a country song but i still think it's a little closer to easy listening in my head uh i like the yeah i like the acoustic guitar organ and piano after the guitar solo there's a good elvis going yeah baby which is always nice (laughs) this is another one that last time we talked about it we mentioned because he does it live and he changes the last verse in concert to in time everything's going to be okay ain't it funny how time steps away but this version has this dark twist at the end of it where he says uh in time you're gonna pay and then he changes it (laughs) ain't it surprising so the whole song it's another one where it's like a twist um at the very end all of a sudden it, it becomes this weird bitter almost revenge thing and it just it just elevates it it just makes it a much more interesting grown-up uh, he liked song. yeah he uh, putting these like little twists at the end of things it's like he was he'd go home after a show and then he'd like um you know he'd probably sit down and watch twilight zone at 2 a.m <laughs> uh-huh. and they've always got a twist at the end right so maybe he thought what if i do that with a song i could do a whole nice song and then at the end i can twist it to make it something totally different well, but i think <laughs> the original probably has that twist in it i think he took it out because when he was doing it as the second to last song in a concert he thought maybe it was a little too too angry at the you audience you don't want to end with you're gonna pay right. <laughs> and, he's, and like i said in concert i think he does funny how time slips away to kind of let the audience know it's almost over time is slipping away so yeah live he, he changed the ending but it's really cool to hear the original dark lyrics in the in the studio version mm. so that is just about well, all i've at, got uh, you know four minutes uh, 30 with the snippet, so maybe what 4:15, 4:20. It's 
the longest track on the album. But at live shows, it, it must have been played faster than oh, this because sure. I don't remember it ever being a four and a half minute track live. I can't think of any Elvis song that he performed slower live than yeah, yeah he sped everything always up. faster yeah, always because yeah when this first came on because i'm so used to the live i've heard so many live versions and i might not have heard this original studio version mm-hmm. it just sounded so slow to me because i'm just not used to it being like this oh yeah i didn't notice that because uh well i am used to it as soon as i heard it i'm just like oh man this is this right <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I like the organ that comes in the second verse. It's just a really nice sounding organ. And again, on like the previous track, he's doing this like vocal slide. It's not as good as the previous one, but this one, there's one at 150. He just goes up a little bit. There's a nice guitar solo. The strings on this are good. They're not overdone like as they can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just, they're just right. Uh, 357, he does another good slide with his vocal going up. That's, it just sounds really good. But yeah, the thing with this song is, even though it is the longest song, it doesn't feel that long. When you get to the end, you don't like, oh, well, that was four and a half, you know, four minutes, 20. No. It's just like, yeah, it goes past fairly quickly for such a slow, long song. I I was surprised when you said it was the longest song on the album. I was not aware of that. I wouldn't have guessed Only by uh, about 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow Never Comes is second longest. But yeah, it's, again, because I'm so used to the live versions, and they probably all come in at like three, three and a half minutes. And this is, you know, almost a minute longer. It just, apart from noticing that it was slow, I didn't feel like it was long. Yeah, it's um, it just, it's a good song. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's always something to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> and that guitar solo is mm-hmm. nice, too. Okay, so that's all we got for this one? I think so. So oh. then we are the last song on this side, track number six, I Really Don't Want to the Know. Single. The lead single released about a month before the album, and that charted... Got to number 21 on the Billboard Hot 100, number two on the Adult Contemporary mm-hmm. chart, 23 on the Country Singles chart. So number two on the Adult Contemporary is pretty, yeah, pretty good. It's not number one, but <laughs> yes, this is the thing. We've, we've seen a few things like this. It's Elvis. Come on. How does he get to like number three or two and not get to number one? I, I want to go and check the charts and like what was beating Elvis <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And it's probably some it's probably some ridiculous like one hit wonder who we don't even remember. Right. And it's like, but it's Elvis. How did he only get to number two? Well, I mean, do you think no. this was a good choice, though, for the single on, on this album? Okay. Oh, no. I don't. Agree. Oh, no, okay. not at all. <laughs> I wouldn't have chosen no, this. I, that's something I have written down, too. This does not seem like this is not the right choice for a single. When you look at it that way, even more amazing that this song, which we both think wouldn't have picked as a single, still got to number two. Yeah, and he did this one live several times. So it just makes you think if they'd chosen a different track, he could have easily got number one. I would think, I mean, from what they had to choose from on this album, yeah, I think there's at least one oh, yeah. number one song on this album. I would but hope. this is, is it written by Barnes and Robertson? Have I got that right? I like we get some great vocals as soon as we're into like the second line of the song. That's what I want to hear. So, because I started off with this piano when it's a slow thing, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be another bland thing. First line of the vocals, okay, and then second line, it's like, okay, here we go. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was good. And this song has some really good build-ups mm-hmm. with like the backing vocals and all the instruments and everything. They all sort of get louder, and then it all sort of calms down again in the next section, and then it slowly starts to build again. It's really well done if you mm-hmm. listen to it. It's another great vocal bit at 207. Yeah, I have that written down. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's that part. But now, darling, I love you so. Yeah, that's yep. an 
amazing part of the song. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> bit. I guess this is an okay track for the side to end on. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the CD, it doesn't matter. It's just in the middle of the CD. Right. But to end side A, yeah, it's okay. I don't yeah. know. I usually tend to want to end on a high with like an upbeat song. But then I, I, I want so many things to be more upbeat. Right. I'm always like, if it's faster, if it's up-tempo, it's going to be great. Start the album like that, end the album like that. But there's a limit to how many songs you can do that with. Right. Well, this is one he did live in like 1977. And uh, I'm trying to remember if he kind of, he may have sang it even better in 77 live, because I think he's really kind of putting more power into Mm. it as he would do with live songs. But I have a thing that says the song is just kind of blah, but Elvis turns it into a masterpiece, that he just elevates everything he, everything he sings. And I've got the exact same note about uh, 208 yeah. or 207. Could you imagine uh, Pat Boone singing this? <laughs> well, that, that's, that's what I was about to get to, is that this is a, it's a really mature song. I mean, especially after Elvis's entire catalog up until now. I mean, this is a song about a grown-up, you know, dating somebody that he doesn't want to know the past. It's just this is such a lyrically mature album compared to his previous stuff and even some of his later stuff. Like every song has got something interesting about it, the way it's written. And to me, this is again, this I've never heard a song that expresses this. You know, it's not somebody falling in love. It's not breaking up and you're lonely. It's I'm about to hook up with this woman who's got a past. Don't tell me about it. It's just fascinating, this whole album to me, the way the, the lyrics are. But uh, yeah, I like I've it. I've really got to pay out. more attention to the lyrics. <laughs> well, <I'm, laughs> I keep saying it, but I just, I never, I just never do it. Like, I think I said this before. I don't like, I'm not a fan of any sort of poetry, mm-hmm. but I am a massive fan of music. The lyrics, while they might, they might add something to the song for me, it's, it just doesn't really matter to me. Okay. Like, I will get enough emotion or whatever out of just the music and a vocal performance mm-hmm. that the words just don't matter to me. I get that, for sure. I mean, one of my favorite songs is in Japanese, and I don't know what any of the lyrics are. I don't know what the words are. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the emotion. So, I mean, I, I can understand that. It's just a little bonus yeah. when the lyrics are, are as good as they and, are. And I know songs. there's people out there who are probably the opposite. They might love lyrics and they know every word of all the songs. And the music is just like the background right. for the lyrics, which is the, like the poetry, the main thing that they want. And I'm the total opposite of that. Right, right. But that's, again, that's why music's good. It's got so many different things that people, you can like this part of it or not that part of it. You don't have to like all of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I don't like lyrics. I just don't. They're not a big focus for me. Yeah, I mean. Everyone likes different things. Yeah, if you can get just as much enjoyment out of it just by the music and the performance, then yeah, who like, cares? I, I can't think of one song that I actually know the lyrics to that has added more to the song for me. Like, you know, Prince has got all these amazing ballads and songs about, you know, my woman, she went off with some guy or whatever the lyrics are about. They could be really heartfelt, emotional lyrics. But that knowing those lyrics or not knowing them doesn't add or detract anything from the song for me. But it might add massively for other people. Yeah, it does for me. But for me, it's just like, it's that's just words. It's just a story. Yeah, no. It could be based in some reality, but a lot of the time it's probably not. So to me, and then I just think, well, it's just some fiction. It's just a bunch of words that somebody put together for the song. <laughs> well, so in that way, it doesn't really mean anything to me. Right. Well, <laughs> well, the, the words are to express the emotion. And if you're picking up on the emotion without the words, then I think it's, it still works. If I don't uh, hear any emotion from a vocal performance or from the music, then I think that's just not a great song. I, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, you, you could write the best lyrics in the world. 
But if you don't have the, I don't know, ability to put that into music as well, then that's not something I want to listen to. Yeah. Because again, I'm not a lyric fan and, you know, other people are and that's what they're going to love. Right. Anyway, that's <laughs> off topic. Where are We're we? on tracks. End of side B. End of side A. Right. <laughs> right. We're on track seven or, or track one of side B. Yes. Track seven, there goes my everything. The other side of the single. It's the B side of this album. And I have, I just have Dallas Frazier written here. I'm guessing that means he wrote yep. it or first had a hit wrote with it. it. This song is okay. Mm -hmm. I, I don't love it. I don't dislike it. It's just okay to me. And this was on the single. Uh, it just, this was the B side to the single. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Those were the two songs. Oh, I mean, th that is weird. in no way representative of this album. Who was making no. these choices? Oh my God. Seriously, yeah. people. <laughs> That's the single Amazing. they picked. It, yeah, Amazing. it's crazy. There's so many better tracks you could have picked, even if you had one ballad and one faster song, but not too slow. Okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It, yeah, it, I don't have much to say. It just sort of plods along. Not much happens. The tempo just seems a bit too slow for me. Elvis' voice sounds fine, as always, but there's just not much there. I would rather open a side B with a more, again, up-tempo track, but that's just, that's just me, I think. Yeah, I think we're... <laughs> we're right on the we're on the same page uh, even if you started with this, this, the next track which track eight that would have been mm -hmm. a better and that's not a great song but it probably would have been a, a better opener than this one yeah yeah this one reminds me a lot of a song that we covered on might have been good times a song called take good care of her uh, yeah. it's a real similar kind of a thing <laughs> the the weird issue i've got with this song is the guy that you mentioned dallas frazier he also wrote he rewrote the same song but called it he is my everything and it's a religious song which elvis covered like a year after this or maybe two years so in elvis's catalog you've got this song twice one with these lyrics uh, and one yep. with the jesus jesus lyrics and so yeah the problem with that is i keep hearing the wrong <laughs> things in my head or if uh, i'm yeah. I'll sing along and I'll get half of the Jesus lyrics and half of these lyrics and <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, if you sing, if you mix them just right, it can sound like a, the whole song is about like a relationship between two guys and a bondage relationship. Because <laughs> uh, the other one is like, I long to kneel down before him. And yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. okay. Then. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I still like it though. I still think Elvis's vocal is astonishingly good, but it is not my favorite it might be my least favorite on the album although that, it's still that thing about changing songs to be more religious it always reminds me of there was years ago there was a south park episode and cartman figured out all you have to do to make loads of money from the, the religious people is just take like any backstreet boys song any pop song and just change the word girl to God or something, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, and I then saw. bang, you, then you got a big hit and you get yeah. all that religious money. But all you did was just change a couple of words and which is exactly what you said just happened with this one. And I always remember that episode. I do too, I remember the same and episode. It, oh, I can't uh, remember what it was called. It might've been some sort of offensive name. I cannot remember. Yeah, it was like, I can't even remember the name of the boy band that Cartman. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think boy of. Band. But uh, yeah. Ah, something. But yeah, that, that is exactly what happened with the song. They took There Goes My Everything to He Is My Everything. Uh, yeah, it's, like I said, not my favorite. It's not a great start. To <laughs> I just said it might be a uh, slightly offensive name. It was called Finger Bang. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> That's right. You could take that a few different ways. It's up to you. 
But yeah, it was just funny how he, and obviously they did that because they know that's what people do and they were making fun of it. Yeah. It's like these people have just sold out. Yeah. It's like Elton John changing candle in the wind to just whoever, whoever it's Marilyn. No, now it's Diana. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like when they do that. Uh, It takes away the integrity of the song to me. It's, you know, it's about this or it's about that. It's not about, you know, we can even say Prince did that with, he changed, what was it? He changed the cross to the Christ. I mean, it was a semi-religious song anyway, but it was much more generic. Everybody Mm. could take what they wanted from it. Then he changed it and then he got into Jehovah's Witness and then he changed it to the Christ. Mm. And it was, then it was very non-inclusive. Like you had to believe that actual specific line of thinking whereas the original was anybody could take whatever they wanted from it so even he did it yeah i mean it was still you had to be christian because it was the cross yeah there so that's track seven let go track eight it's your baby you rock it now i'm pretty sure this was the only original song it was written just for elvis just for this album is that right i didn't know that that's what the internet told me i could be wrong but it seems like most, if not all, the other tracks had been previously recorded by somebody else. I mean, I always just assumed that this was just another, it, you know, old song from the. It was 50s written or by Cheryl never... Millet and Nora Fowler. But yeah, it was first done by Elvis, from what I can see. Oh, oh well, it fits right in. Um, but yeah, this is nice bass throughout this track. I do like an up tempo track, but even that is not enough to make this great. I mean, this for me, this song, it's the definition of an album track. It just seems like a bit of filler halfway through the album. Sorry to anyone out there who loves it, but I just, I don't get anything out of this song. <laughs> That's all I've got. The reason I like this one, again, when I first heard this album, I was like 12. And, and so you're going to have the, all this nostalgia memories and stuff. Well, yeah, this might be the very first time I've ever like run across a, a metaphor, like ever. When I saw the song title, It's Your Baby, You Rock It, I'm like, what the hell is that going to be about? And then you listen to it and it's like, oh, it means this. It means you created this situation, you deal with it. And the song has this good edge to it because it's, you know, I've used up all my sympathy. It's your baby, you rock it. Uh, yeah, it, it's a cool song because it's a slightly angry song. It's got a little bit of an edge mm. that a few, of the, a few of the songs on this album have that in Elvis's wider catalog, there's not that many. So I, I like it for that little edge. I like it for the... The fact that toward the end, he's angry at this person, basically. She doesn't mean... In other words, this guy hooked up with his ex, and now his ex... I did hear that line in there, like, she done... What, she done you wrong, and now she's done me wrong as well, or something like that? She done you like she done me, and I've used up all my sympathy. So that's why I like this song, is, is, again, it is the lyrics. It's a fun song with that little little bit of an edge a little bit of anger in it that I, I like in my Elvis songs. <laughs> so it's not literally about, a baby. I'm not rocking that baby <laughs> in that thing. You do it yourself. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> that is, that's what I thought when I first yeah, saw this. As title. a 12-year-old, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what the deal was. But yeah, I, I like it. It's, it's not one of my favorites. It is definitely kind of an album track. I think it's kind of similar to Little Cabin on the Hill in that it's just kind of a, a fun yeah. little interlude between heavier songs. Maybe. Okay, so then we go to track number nine. It's called The Fool uh, by Lee Hazelwood. Right, right. Famous for being married to Nancy Sinatra, I think, for a while. Oh, wow. Or there at least, go. if not married, they were like a team of some sort for a long time in the 60s. Ah. This is one of the only ones I did go back and listen to the original. This song is kind of a classic. It's kind of a forgotten classic. The original is from 1956 by a guy named Sanford Clark. And it's got this really twangy 
rockabilly guitar going on in it. And it, it made it to number seven on the pop charts, number five, uh, rhythm and blues, and number 14, country charts in 1956. Okay. So it was a big, it was a big song. Elvis's version is not as good as the original uh, be, because it's, well, hell, <laughs> he, he did it very differently. I mean, the original, like I said, is this really sparse rockabilly thing with this great twangy guitar. And this has got a weird rhythm to it already. Uh, Elvis did a home recording of this in 1959 with him on piano, but it's different as well. Yeah, I, I like this one. Again, it's not my favorite on the album. I think there's many other songs that I that are just way better. But this is Elvis just messing around with a song that he knew from the 50s and just doing his version. I oh, love yeah. the harmonica in it. And I love the odd rhythm of it. I mean, it does have a weird beat uh, that's really kind of cool. But yeah, this one, this is the only one that I think the original... Even more than a whole lot of shaking going on, I think the original of, of this one I prefer. Ooh, wow. But I like we'll this to too. I like to this one then. too, especially if you like that old rockabilly sparse oh, yeah. song with a with an echo and a, yeah, it sort of reminds me of Bebop Alula by Gene Vincent. It's got a, uh, yeah that kind of vibe to it. But yeah, I, I was, this version's mm. good, but not. Great. I like it. I'll have to listen to the original now that you've said mm -hmm. that. But just right from the start i love that guitar and just the whole sound of it i'm like oh this is going to be something good <laughs> and and elvis's voice starts off like really deep and then yeah. slowly comes up it's another short track but yeah i do like it you got to love that harmonica yeah. i i love that old sunny terry and brownie mcgee stuff mm -hmm. which is just those two guys a guitar and a harmonica if you ever heard that those, those two guys oh i love that yeah. stuff oh, i'll have to check um yeah sunny terry brownie mcgee they were just these two old blues guys. Well, they probably weren't always old. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, oh, great stuff. They, they had a song called Drinking in the Blues, and they did like Down by the Riverside and all those like classic songs. They're really good. Oh, cool. But yeah, this is another one. Put this on the playlist twice because it's got to mm -hmm. be twice as long. It's too short. But yeah, now that you've said the original's better, I'm going to have to check that one out. I just didn't have time for this one, but I'll, I'll get to that. Yeah, I just like the sound of the original better. I mean, Elvis's voice is certainly as good as... Sanford Clark. It just, I like the original sound better. Okay, so then it's track number 10, Faded Love, written by Bob Wills and sung by Patsy Cline originally, I think. Well, Bob Wills sang it first in 1950, but ah. then Pats Patsy Cline Patsy had Cline it. had the big hit, yeah. Right, and that might be because I think it came out posthumously, like I think she had just died. Ah, okay. And this was like the single, so it might have gotten a little traction. As from, soon as from I listened to this, started this song, it's straight away the general sound of this seems much more like a track from the later 70s. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just the sound of it. It doesn't sound like it's a 1970, 71 track. It sounds like three, four, five years later. I don't know why. Well, have you heard the version on the Guitar Man album? It's 1981. They remixed all the backgrounds and they kept Elvis's vocal. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, you told me they redid the music. I'll have to listen to that yeah, too. Yeah, it's cool. It's uh, In fact, Faded Love was the B-side to Guitar Man, which I think was like a top 10 hit after Elvis was dead in 1981. Mm. But yeah, the remix is really interesting. It, the remix is more countrified than the version on here. Because oh, I, I really like this one. Oh, good. And this, this really sounds mm -hmm. like a country track than with your usual Elvis interpretation of it. It's got a cool guitar solo in this one. I love some some good horns. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't expecting them really on a country album, but that's fine. They're, they're great. And then on the fade out, you get a bit more guitar solo. That's great. This is probably in the top five songs on this album for me. Oh, me too. Yeah. Maybe fourth, third or fourth. I don't know. It's up there. Like It's nothing amazing. It's just a good song. A good, solid song. I like it. That's all I got. Yeah, I'm pretty much, again, right? The same thing. I've got the horns and the guitars. He did this live 
four times. None of the live versions are as good as the studio version. I don't know if it's... Uh, in 1973 is when he did them live. And I think on that uh, stretch of shows in Las Vegas, he was having throat trouble or something. So whenever you listen to the live version, it's just not as powerful mm. as this one. But it's cool that he did it live, at least. I also think this is one of the best songs on the album. You said a lot of what I was thinking. This This sounds like a country song that Elvis rocked up. Yeah, and turned he, it he into did his this. did his usual magic. Yeah, this definitely has that Elvis interpreted this song <laughs> this way. Yeah, but no, nah, it's it's fantastic. It would have made a much better single. Would oh, this yes, have been a great yes. single instead of the yep. other? Ridiculous. Like I said, this was a 1970 track, and to me, it sounds like much later. Yeah, you know, if this had come out as a single. Would I be the only one thinking that? Would people think, wow, this song, I mean, looking back, it's easy to say, oh, it sounds ahead of its time or whatever yeah. they say. Yeah. But I wonder how it would have done at the time. I think it would. I don't know. It might have had like this new sound and people would have been blown away. I don't know. Yeah. I definitely think it would have charted higher than I really don't want to know. Because this is, it's more of a country track and it's, it's still rocky enough. I could see mm -hmm. this doing well. Yeah. And, and this song is much more representative of this album than the, the one that was a single. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a great song. It should have probably been the single. Oh, we haven't gotten to the next one yet, though. What are the um. lyrics on this one? <laughs> because a song called Faded Love, mm -hmm. do you know what? When I listen to a song, I listen <laughs> uh -huh. to the music, I listen to the singing, but not really the actual words. Right. But Faded Love is not the sort of words I would get from listening to this song. Well, I mean, the chorus is, uh, I miss you, darling, darling, more and more every day, as heaven would miss the stars above. With every heartbeat, I still think of you and remember our faded love. It's, I mean, yeah, the lyrics are what you would expect from the title. So it's not, it's a, it's not a, a sad song because, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a happy song, but it's right. more like a I miss you song, which could be sad. Right. But it's more maybe looking back at the good times, something like that. Yeah, I think maybe it's a little more nostalgia. Nostalgia. Maybe. Yeah. Elvis certainly sounded like he was having fun singing it. Mm. He's not he doesn't he doesn't sound like he's depressed like some songs later. Yeah. Um it has sad lyrics, but it's just got it is very upbeat and it really Elvis sings it great. Mm, okay then. Then yeah. we're gonna go to track eleven. Mm. I washed my hands in muddy water. My favorite song yep. on the album. That is exactly what I figured. Of course, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it would be. How, how can it not? Okay, it's. Oh, I listened to this song just today, probably eight times. Yeah, it's, it's just, worth it. As soon as I get to the end, I'm like, yeah, I can hear that one more time. <laughs> and then I get to the end, and I'm like, yeah, let's go one more. Yeah. It's so good. It's just so good. Go, you go, you go. Or I'll just say everything. No, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, I had a feeling this might be your favorite. It is. I said Snowbird is my favorite, but it, like Snowbird is my favorite ballad. This would be my favorite rock song. Yep. It's just, it's like a movie. It's this great cinematic. Well, you haven't listened to the words, so you might not even know. But this song is, he breaks out of jail in this song. It's just exhilarating. <laughs> I did hear a few things, lyrics here and there. But yeah, I, I did hear something about jail. <laughs> yeah, around uh, 138, 140, when he sings, I broke out, broke out of Nashville jail. It just feels like, ah, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just exhilarating is all I can think of. Yeah, cinematic. It reminds me a little bit of Talk About the Good Times. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it feels like it would be right at home with that like, song. Out of, I'll just say, out of any song on this album, if I'm going to pull out a track to put in a some sort of Elvis playlist, yeah. this is the one that's going. Yeah, depending on... It's just so good. Yeah, depending on what the playlist was, I would probably do it as All well. All my playlists it's, are up-tempo, happy... <laughs> I don't have I don't have slow depressing playlists. Most of mine are slow and depressing, but uh, there's a couple of happy ones. But yeah, this would belong on it. This is one of those songs that if you're listening to it while you're driving, 
you better just hope there's no cops around because there's oh, no yeah. way not to, to just floor yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, my favorite line, I already said it, I broke out, broke out of Nashville jail. It just sounds like, oh, it's just, it's just so good. I, I don't even know where to go with this. Oh, so I, another, it's another song title that's a metaphor. Like, like Oh, okay, your, explain this because I literally rocket. just thought he, he got out of jail and washed his hands in dirty No, water. it starts out, <laughs> so he's born. At, I, have, I have no so idea. The, the story in the song is like, okay, he's born, his father is in jail in Georgia. They kept his daddy in the Macon prison, Macon jail. And his dad tells him, look, you got to just try to keep your hands clean, try to, Stay out of trouble is what it means. Ah, I've heard the okay. expression. Um, I've heard keep your nose clean is an expression. Yeah, I used to I've hear. never heard this Yeah, one. well, it's basically, yeah, keep your hands clean, stay out of trouble. And then the very next verse is, I fell in with bad companions and we robbed a guy up in Tennessee. <laughs> and so the next thing you know, he's he's arrested in Nashville. The judge is saying, we're going to put you in jail. But if you promise to keep your hands clean, we might turn you into a good man after all. Or we might make a good man off you yet is the line. So then the very next verse is... I couldn't wait to get my time up. I broke out, broke out of Nashville jail. I just crossed the state line of Georgia. I can't hear the bloodhounds on my trail. It's ah, oh, it's such a good song. Mm. Like I say, it's cinematic. I mean, it's like watching. Cool just Hand imagine or that it's this just, uh, song literally being made into a modern day music video. How oh, good would it be? Yeah, like, you're right. Putting all those lyrics to actual visual things, it'd be so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with all the CGI they can do with you know Elvis could be there, no problem. Oh, I just watched what a deep fake today of Elvis. Um, Some of them are just getting so scarily good. I know. I don't know if I like it or not. I don't either. <laughs> I mean, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the technology. Yeah. But I'm just all everyone is thinking is how are the evil people gonna. <laughs> you know, use this in a bad right. way. Like they're going to get, they'll, they'll make Biden come out and say the most ridiculous things and, you know, half the country will believe it and the rest will say, well, obviously yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, it is a little scary. I mean, on the plus side, it would be great to watch an Elvis biopic starring Elvis, you know. Oh, yeah. Or uh, Cary Grant or Humphrey Bogart or any of these dead people. But yeah, it worries me too. So do you know what, I was going to ask if you have any idea what outlaw country is. That's also a genre outlaw of Outlaw country. I'll I'll just take a guess. You know, there's lots of different types of country mm -hmm. music. I'm guessing outlaw country is country songs with lyrics about being a criminal. Well, that's kind of what I figured, and so <laughs> that's the most basic thing I could think of. But this one's about breaking out of right. jail. I think when I went on do, do, doing crimes. Right. I think when I went online and read about it, though, it was I think Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson. There were a handful of people. And it was described as country music people who were managing to become popular, like outside of Nashville and outside of the whole. So it actually has nothing to do uh -huh. with being an outlaw in the song, because I definitely thought, well, this must be outlaw country. But I have no idea if it, if it is. It's yeah. just a country song with an outlaw. <laughs> but no, I, I can see why it's your favorite song. It's got to be my second favorite song. No, as, yeah, as soon as awesome. it started, I just like I heard the harmonica. I'm like, here we go. It's going to be good. And then it's up tempo. And side B definitely has a lot more harmonica than side mm -hmm. A. Like side A, I barely even noticed it, maybe on a little bit, but it's all over side B. Yeah. And now this favorite song, top track on this album, this, Funny How Time Slips Away, they're just, they're yeah. just good. I think, uh, I think there's a longer version of this Oh, I'll be, YouTube I'll be looking well. for that then. Yeah, there's probably on that. I think FTD did a reissue. I'll have to check out if there's like a longer outtake version yeah, or something. Yeah, I think it goes on. Different takes. Yeah, I definitely think it goes on longer at the end. Oh, I've got to hear. But that. I like the horns on this. I like. 
I did listen to the original by a guy named Stonewall Jackson. Elvis's version blows it away. Okay. Like easily, easily blows it away. So this was written by Joe Babcock, is that right? Yeah, if you say so. Sounds I right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look that one up. <laughs> but yeah, the horns, again, unexpected. I heard the horns and I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I love a faster track. So this, this one is just great for that. And I love the horns and I love any track where... As you know, you can hear Elvis enjoying himself so much. There's a lot of that. That's one of the best things about it. This album is full of it. He's having fun. Like some tracks he can sound like he's falling asleep, you know, or he just, he doesn't want to be there that day. But this one, you know, and this faster type of track, it always, the energy from the track goes straight into him and gets his energy up as well. And makes him perform better because of the music and the energy. And it's just, it all just feeds each other. Like, how many times have you seen those videos of um, when Elvis is doing his crazy karate and then Ronnie's doing a big Mm -hmm. drum thing and they both just keep feeding each other? Like, Ronnie does more crazy stuff and then Elvis (laughs) does more crazy stuff and then Ronnie does more crazy stuff. It just keeps going. I I think that's why he always wanted the band in the studio when he recorded, whereas other singers might just perform yeah because you want that live energy yeah yeah, 100% but yeah I love this song it's got great guitar it's got great piano it's got great bass it's got great horns Elvis is great it's all great great track (laughs) yeah there's a there's a quote I, I keep thinking it's John Lennon but maybe it was somebody else but back in the 50s they said hearing Elvis for the first time was like breaking out of jail and and this mm. this song is like he's actually breaking out of jail it's just it's so good yeah it just feel like it's, you're breaking out when you get there's this been song. a lot it's of so quotes good. i think we talked about this briefly before just how much like paul mccartney and john mm. lennon and ringo and george were influenced by like early years yeah, elvis sure. like i'm sure there's a quote from john lennon who's at some point said before elvis there was nothing yeah which is exactly really that. not right but i can see how What's, how he got to that thinking. But he did, Elvis did take things to another level. Yeah. And I also don't know in England or in fact in Europe how much rock and roll was reaching there prior to Elvis. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I probably not a lot. Yeah, you might not be hearing Little Richard and Chuck Berry and all the things sort of leading up to Elvis. They might have mm. just suddenly gotten Elvis and it would feel like, holy crap, where did this guy come from? I do remember there was a movie about some sort of radio station on a boat or something? Was it called Rock the Boat or something like that? Do you have any clue what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And this was, bef- I think it was before UK radio stations were playing any sort of American oh, music. And they would like broadcast yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And Like they'd get it from the US and, and then it'd be send like it out. in the middle of the night Maybe and you could only know. pick it up at like two o'clock in the whatever, you know, certain times of the day. Yeah, that does I think sound. there was a movie. I think there was a whole movie made about it. It was like a big thing. I think you're right. I'm probably totally confusing all those different parts, but anyway. <laughs> it, it sounds familiar. Anyway, let's go to the final track of this album. The last track on side B, it's track 12. Well, if you've got the CD, it's track 12. Right. Make the World Go Away. And I just have mm-hmm. Hank Cochran written here. I'm guessing he wrote this song. <laughs> um, I did watch the video oh, okay. of Elvis singing this, which I Ooh. highly recommend watching him. Is it this. is it like a um, one-off yeah. performance once or twice? Yeah, he must have only done it a few times, but he, he did it when they were uh, doing the film uh, That's the Way It Is, which is really peak Elvis. And, mm. and this was recorded, and I think it was put in like a salt mine in Utah or something. And then it came out finally on VHS as Elvis the Lost Performances, and it was on there. Oh, yep. I had that on a VHS tape. I still have it on a VHS tape. Yeah, I probably <laughs> um, still do too. But it is on YouTube. <laughs> Somewhere. And it is amazing to watch him do it, aside from just hearing him do it. Uh, my notes, I guess I'll kind of go first because I've got very little. I just have... 
It's immaculate. It's beyond good. His voice is perfection. How insane is this guy's voice? <laughs> How desperate but, per but perfect does he sound? Yeah, all, all I've got are these. I have nothing about the music. <laughs> nothing detailed about who wrote it or who sang it first. Just, <laughs> it's just uh, the voice. It's perfection. I mean, it's not even close to my favorite song on the album, but it's still, I mean, it's perfect. In a lot of ways, it's a good bookend to Snowbird because I think they're both just these kind of perfect little songs. This one I like because it does have that desperation kind of in his voice, mm. which he's great at conveying. Here we go again. Another Prince reference. Both, I think we said this before, mm. both Prince and Elvis were really good at expressing emotion through their voice. Yeah. Like the lyrics I, don't even matter, but you can just hear something in their voice and it does something to you. Yeah. And they were both really good at doing that. Like lyrics aside, just the sound of their voice did it. That's how good both of them were yeah. at doing that. But uh, this song, first of all, I probably would have finished with um, Wash My Hands in Muddy Water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just another. I, I want to end on a high. I want to yeah. end on a big high. And this this could have been the second last track. It would have been fine. But, you know, I'm not Felton Jarvis or whoever was making the choices. So it is what it is. But, yeah, I've just got great vocal performance written here. The whole band sounds great. You can hear everyone individually when you listen. And that's cool because sometimes everything can sound very close together but this is just mixed very well you can hear like every instrument you can just listen to if one if you want and you can't always do that the what uh, it's like called the, the i think it's called the music field or something the field of separation or whatever they call it like everything you can just hear it clearly in its place like you listen to something on am radio if you still do and everything is just all compressed and it's all right there coming out of one speaker and there's it's just a mush of compression but you listen to this, you know, with the headphones on or on some surround sound speakers or whatever setup you've got, you can hear everything. It's mixed really well. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But yeah, I don't have that much to say about it. It's a. I would have preferred the previous track to end it. But as you said, you know, this is an amazing, perfect vocal performance. I can see also why they're like, let's put this one last. Let's have them yeah. listen to, you know, the best vocal as yeah. the last track. So it does make sense in that way. Yeah, I could see that. I could see like track one and track 12. You could probably remove, even though Snowbird is fantastic, but if you remove track one and track 12, then it would it would kick off with Tomorrow Never Comes and end with Wash My Hands in Muddy Water, which might have been a more mm. kind of a cooler way. But I, it's it's such a good album. There's no point in talking about how I would change it. I really wouldn't. I, it's fine. I mean, I just love it the way it is. It's definitely my favorite album we've covered so far. And it's definitely, I think it's in Elvis's top five albums ever, maybe top three. Well, saying that, let's go straight to our conclusion, our, what is it? General thoughts, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. And yeah, do we have a name for it? Not really. It's the end <laughs> of the show. <laughs> From what you just said, I and from what I read about this album, it does seem to be, I think, generally considered one of Elvis's best albums, which surprised me because I don't know why it surprised me, but it just did. I just, listening through this album, and after just talking about the last later 70s albums, which are generally considered some of the worst, mm -hmm. this surprised me that this was one of the best because I don't find that much of a difference between them. Like, this is better, mm -hmm. for sure, but I don't think it's as massive a gap from worst to best as 
people might be thinking, but maybe that's just no, me. No, I, I agree. I mean, it definitely is better, but I don't see as the, the gap to be that big. I Especially if we're talking about like the Jungle Rooms session, because those are amazing as well. And I think that, and that was his last time recording. And so, yeah, I don't think there's a big drop really in quality from this to there. There's a few dips between this and mm. there, but um, but no, I, I, I agree. I think the, the level was was this high at the end as well. I think one reason I just thought it might have surprised me is because I don't know the studio mm-hmm. albums that well. So I have no concept of what people will think is the best studio album. I didn't know that this one was so well regarded either. I, I knew that I liked it, but since the 1970s box set with the Essential Masters, I hadn't listened to this album as an album in forever, but it really holds together. I mean, it really, it's not really a concept album, but it feels way more cohesive than most of the other ones, yeah. I think. I don't know, it's hard to say, because it is, a when you really get down to it, it, it is a very similar mixture of songs that you get on yeah. almost all the 70s it started, albums. It started that trend of like, let's put one of these, one of these, one of these, except they skipped the, uh, you know, the religious one on this right. one. But you said there was that right. one where they, <laughs> The guy changed it, so that sort of counts. (laughs) There goes my everything. It's the same as he is my everything. But, like, if I say Prince albums, what are Prince's most well-known albums? Well, there's Purple Rain, there's 1999, Mm. maybe Diamonds and Pearls, Sign of the Times. That's probably the biggest ones, generally. Like, to the general public. For sure. Purple Rain's right up there. But when I think about Elvis, I mean, Elvis wasn't famous for albums. He was famous for songs. He was famous for Mm -hmm. singles. And, you know, I guess movies as well and live performances. But albums, no. Like, I'd struggle to name you an Elvis album that was like a massive album. Yeah. Ex- except maybe the, the the few, the live ones. Right. Like Aloha from Hawaii, Afternoon in the Garden. You know, they were big yeah. albums, but they're not studio albums. Well, it's like everybody loves and knows who Frank Sinatra is. Can you name one Frank Sinatra album? I will guess self-titled. <laughs> There's got to be one. <laughs> There's got to be one, exactly. <laughs> um but no, I can actually name a couple now that I think about it. There's probably got to be one called My Way. I'm just guessing. Probably right. a compilation, but yeah, there probably is. Fly Me to the Moon. Oh, that is an oh. album. I think you're right. There is a, a full album oh, called Fly Me to the Moon. What a guess. I can think of a couple, like Only the Lonely and Wee Wee, Wee Small Hours of the Morning. Only the Lonely? That's Roy Orbison. No, it's a totally, totally different song. In fact, uh. some people say that that was the first concept album because it's, uh, it's this very lonely... Well, anyway, we're not talking about Frank Sinatra. But yeah, I was saying, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Elvis isn't really known for albums. But until the Beatles, I don't think anybody was known for albums. You know, once Sgt. Pepper happened, then it was like, oh, this is what an this album is a cohesive be. piece. Right. Yeah, this is a thing. But yeah, I mean, even James Brown. James Brown, it was just a, you know, it was a single or two yeah. every couple of months. Um, and then by the time they'd got up to like 10 or 12 singles, they'd just put it on an album and exactly. go, here's the album. And like I said, I mean, the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper came out in 67, I think. And this was recorded in 1970. So it, it really hadn't caught on that albums are going to become the dominant uh, thing as opposed to singles. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Elvis was mostly songs, not albums. But as albums go, yeah, this has got to be way up there. I've mentioned it already. Elvis is back, the album he put out when he first got out of the army is pretty much considered his best and i probably agree but this has got to be like number two or three i think an interesting thing i noticed was when you look at these later 70s studio albums that we've already talked about a lot of them are just like 10 tracks and i guess that was because by that point in time they had so little studio material to use because elvis didn't want to record (laughs) anymore but here we've got 12 tracks but i think 10 of them were recorded at the same time but then 
for some reason, they're like, we need a yeah. couple more. So he went back and recorded, I think, Snowbird and something else and Holy made it 12. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not a massive difference between 10 and 12 tracks, but it, that difference is there because most, al- most studio albums in the late 70s were mm-hmm. 10 tracks. Well, I mean, I'm sure you read how productive the session was that he did in, in June. Oh, yeah, it was like 35 songs or something, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he had enough songs for like the next year of albums practically. So, yeah, making this one longer, I'm glad they did. That's what also makes it, you know, almost 40 minutes as opposed to 30 or whatever (laughs) the later ones were. It definitely feels more like an album than a collection of songs, whereas Mm. Raised on Rock definitely felt like a collection of songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I guess maybe those two extra tracks just kind of makes it feel bigger. Well, it it is bigger because of the two extra songs. but. But, you know, the I think the quality of songs on this album generally is higher than some of the later albums like we say you know raised on rock or good times or promised land while they're not awful there are some pretty average tracks on those albums and i'd even say there's a couple of average tracks on this album too but they're still of a probably of a higher quality yeah just the lyrical content is is so much better Mm. and different i mean he's got a song about breaking out of prison he's got a song about (laughs) i mean there's just there's so much variety on this album that is just not on the other albums for the most part yeah i I think it's Yeah, it's got to be his most adult album as well, probably. The later albums are, they start to get much sadder, and this album still has a lot of fun going on. It's probably his last most fun album. I would say everything after this is a little little less enjoyable. And on that note... (laughs) (laughs) It's all downhill from here is what I'm saying. No, I don't even believe that. I I think, like I said, whenever we get to the uh, Jungle Room stuff, I I think that's a high point. Yeah, that's a high point, even though it's the end. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I can't wait to do those. Cool. So that's all. We're done. Yeah. As we say almost every time, I did not think we would talk this long about Neither this did album. Even though, it was, even though it was slightly longer than some of the others, I'm like, ah, oh, there's not that much to say. Yeah. But, but still. Yeah, I'm glad we did it, because I also felt like I didn't have enough to say. We're all done. But That's all. Yeah. Uh, what else pers- can we say? We'll be back another time with another album. Don't know what it is yet. <laughs> I hope the person emails us again and, and lets us know how we did on this review. The one who asked us He'll to probably, review. Well, well, we didn't slam it, so... How could you? And we did say it was good, yeah. so hopefully... <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's it. The music's coming. It's fading in. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. See you later.